When I was allowed to play that piano, I took my friends in the music. I took Bach, Johann Sebastian Bach. I took him and I vented my feelings in his music for the fighting. That was Maud Carroll. She has lived a century and music is her passion. At times, music was her only friend. This incredible woman lives in New Jersey and has taught more than 2,000 students. But the real lesson Ms. Carroll learned and shares with us is how to survive when many times, as she says, she begged to die. I'm Nicole Franklin. And I'm Brian Monte. Welcome to Before You Go, where we have the privilege to host a conversation many never get to have. Now, sometimes those who make history manage to remain in the shadows. Now, before it's too late, before anyone goes anywhere, we'd like to get them on record. And as in the case of Miss Carol, we suspect their story may change the life of someone listening as well. I think we should warn everyone that this conversation with Miss Carol goes into some pretty dark areas. It definitely does, but I can't get her story out of my head. It's a rewind in time. Let's listen in. And now the story begins. I was born of a family of seven, a British subject on the island of Bastyr, St. Kitts. My mother and father had seven children. Three boys and four girls. Maud was the youngest of the girls. My father had a sister that lived in the United States that was childless and she asked him for one of his children so she would have a child for the rest of her life to care for her. So he decided to give his youngest child to her. That child's name is Ethel Maud Baptiste. Her aunt's name, of course, is Annie O'Loughlin. So when my father gave his sister Ethel Maud to her, Ethel Maud's name became Ethel Maud Baptiste O'Loughlin. And of course, when Maud grew up to be a woman and married, there was another name attached, and that was Carol. So everyone knows Mrs. Carol as Maud Carol. And that is how she is known in 
the United States. But there was a very sad beginning to Maud Carroll. Maud Carroll was to die at sea when her father's sister took her on board of the ship that was to sail to America. Her papers were not in order, and she had been stricken with the fever that raged on the island at that time. But the doctor on the ship said she would never live to reach the United States. She would die at sea. So they let her stay on the ship that sailed and docked at Ellis Island on the year 1924. Maud was then three years old, and that was going to be the start of her music career because the home that she was going to with her new adopted mother was the home of her stepfather, Mr. O'Loughlin, who was a musician. And he taught all of his family's boy sibling how to play instruments in the brass and the woodwind percussion section. So she went into a home of music at the age of three. In the house, unhappiness lived. Two people could not get along with each other. My stepfather taught his sister's boys how to play the instruments. My mother, who was really my aunt, my mother drank very heavily. They could not get along. The fighting started. The drinking was heavy. Maud was left alone many days. Music became her angel and her savior to survive mentally because physically it almost destroyed her. A piano was in the house when we moved from our first resident. I don't remember how it got there. But my mother said, since my father was teaching all of his family children, that she was going to get a teacher to teach more. My first teacher was Charlotte Gaines. Charlotte Gaines, I loved. She sat in the chair 
taught me the notes, showed me where to play, and then took her nap in the chair. And then I had to figure out just what I was going to do from one measure to the next. I loved Mrs. Gaines. But to my dismay, one of my stepfather's relatives brought his niece over to the house one night. She was studying at Juilliard in New York. She played the piano and she played one of Chopin's beautiful pieces. My mother said, more text piano lessons, more you go to the piano and play. Well, Maud was in trouble because Maud could not play what was just played by Chopin. She went to the piano and she tried to play the happy farmer and she fumbled with those notes. She fumbled with the rhythm and I knew what was coming when that company left that house that night. And sure enough, I begged for mercy. I explained to my mother that Mrs. Keynes went to sleep at the piano. She said, well, why didn't you tell me I was spending my money? I said I was afraid. So my mother had to get a new teacher. My new teacher turned out to be Sarah Vaughan's teacher. So we both had a teacher, and that's how, at an early age, I met Sarah Vaughan. And our teacher was Josephine King. And that's when I start learning to play the piano. My stepfather worked every day. My mother drank every day. I was never allowed to have friends. My mother said she was my only friend. But I found a friend. My friend was that piano because being alone, when the parents were home and the fighting started, I couldn't play the piano. I had to just sit while the turmoil was going on. Physically, I started being scarred at home by my mother. She vented her anger with her husband with me because I was in the way. The home was a railroad flat wherever we moved. And as she vent her anger up and down, it was a problem. If she had a knife in her hand and she was running, I was in the way even if I was sitting in a chair, so I caught the blunt of it, body was scarred. If she was boiling water on the stove, 
and she meant to throw it at him. It ended on my body. I, I could tell stories that haven't been shown in movies yet. They didn't have outdoor toilets at that time. They had the little pails that was used in anger. That wasn't very pleasant to be poured at, on you. But when my mother was nice, she was the most beautiful person in the world. And she was a beautiful woman. She could pass. She had the coloring to pass. But she had a very wicked tongue, a very, very wicked language that I wasn't exposed to outside because I just went to school, never went to church, school and home. Music was my angel as a child, as Josephine King, taught me to play. But when I was allowed to play that piano, I took my friends in the music. I took Bach, Johann Sebastian Bach. I took him and I vented my feelings in his music for the fighting. I took Beethoven for my peacefulness in my feelings. I took Franz Liszt. They were my friends. I found they were my friends. They were the only ones I had. This one day was the worst day of my life. Father at work. Mother out, a stomach upset. I couldn't get to relieve myself in time, had an accident. Mother got home before father came home from work. She says, what's this? I couldn't clean anything up. I was still a young child. She said, you're gonna eat it. The worst day of my life. I could write a book on what has happened. There were good days, but the days that were bad, oh, I don't think any child could ever forget the day that my mother said, if you try to run away from me, I'll find you. So she decided to mark my behind with a knife. If the doctors examined me, they would think it was a dimple. That was her thinking. She would find me because she marked me. I begged 
to die. I begged, but I couldn't die. I couldn't run away. I had to stay. I had no choice. A little Italian woman who lived next door to us, her back window faced our back window in a little alleyway. I'll never forget how that woman pleaded for me. I don't remember what she looked like. Her voice, I can still hear as old as I am. I heard her shout out, Annie, stop, you're going to kill that child. And she said to her, she's mine to kill. As old as I am, I still can remember. She took her drink and she left. A couple of days she came back. But they stayed together, my father and her. They, they stayed together, fighting, fighting. Oh, but the piano taught me how to teach. It's ironic how that was my lesson in teaching children to endure no matter what they went through. That was my lesson, that Josephine King, my teacher, did not have to teach me. I learned that from experience, and that experience, I didn't know how affected it was until over a thousand children, believe it or not, almost 2,000 children now, Many of them have written, many of them have phoned, many of them have sent me cards to tell me what music did for them in my teaching, and it has been rewarding. So whatever I endured as a child really has paid off for me because I love the teaching. Now this story is quite riveting and it's too much for us to keep to ourselves. So we wanna introduce someone who's listening in with us. Welcome, Professor Brandon Boyd. It's so wonderful to have you with us. You're a composer, a music scholar, and an assistant professor of choral conducting choral music education at the University of Missouri School of Music. You're also a longtime member of an organization I love, the more than 100-year-old National Association of Negro Musicians. I can imagine in your encounters, you hear of musical beginnings of all kinds. Have you ever heard a story like Miss Carol's? I've never heard a story like Miss Carol's. I mean, you think of people being impoverished and still yet being able to be inspired uh, through music. But when you think of this a social, you think of the emotional damage that she endured, and yet even at her age now is still so positive. I mean, her outlook is still yet positive. She's not like one of the old, like an old person who's just mean and hateful to every person, every, you know, she just seems to have, <laughs> have really pushed through. And uh, I think with that kind of, um, 
that kind of attitude, she's been so impactful as a teacher. I mean, and she's used teaching. And I think I, I want to say the music is somewhat maybe the carrier to the students, but the teaching aspect for her is um, seems to be the way that she can give life to those young minds. And by giving life to them, she's pouring into them self-confidence. She's giving to them um, a discipline in which to feel proud of yourself, to be able to reproduce something, an art, a skill. And she's giving them a language to express themselves in so many ways and giving them that human side that I'm so happy to see because I want my students to see this person who didn't take an education course, didn't take a psychology of education course or psychology of music course, but through her life, oh man, traumatic kind of life experiences, she's still yet taking the positive approach and has fallen in love with her calling. It's not really something she just did. It's her calling, which was to teach. Amen. <laughs> and I, I'm just so moved by the fact that these were her friends, these composers, these classical composers were her friends. I mean, she wasn't allowed to see anyone. It's an amazing relationship to music. It is, but sometimes we'll never know the stories of even the dead composers. Yes, we have some written accounts, but you never know the emotional uh, impact things have had on those composers that are now living in that music and can be identified by a living person in the 20th century. And that's why I believe it's lasted so long. That's why I believe their music lasts for 200, 300 years. And I don't uh, mm -hmm. presume they will, you know, go dormant in the next 200 years. Yes, some people don't play as much classical music as they one time did, but I think that it's music just has something that lives within it that is uh, a living organism and it's emotion and it's feeling and it's, it's, it's life experience just kind of notated and then passed along and someone else interprets it and maybe finds a similar connection. I mean, the one, four, five chord is, is n never going away. For one, it's easy. It's right. so easy to play. Certain harmonic language just does something to you. Music honestly has this way of sharpening your discipline, your level of discipline in, in so many ways. You don't think about just doing something. I'm just going to do it. There is a process to it. There is also a, right. you know, a product. But then you get to be re, uh, retrospective to look back and see, now, did I do that well? Can I do it better? But it is, it is that kind of process and discipline that I noticed that she had and still does and wants to impart that into these children who will now walk a different kind of life with that discipline strengthened in their lives at early ages so that they can live with them for a hundred years, hopefully, or plus. I love it. Was there a composer that moved you as much as um, in Miss Carol's story? Not a, not, a, not a deceased composer, but a living composer, yes. Who um, that? that living composer was Roland Carter. Ah, yeah. And you, he wrote you a know, lot I, Roland Carter. <laughs> I heard of him once or twice in my life, you know? I did my dissertation on him, but what amazed me about Roland Carter was I didn't realize that Black composers could write classical music mm. in the sense of it could be idiomatic or non-idiomatic. But I had no idea that they could write things for an orchestra or write things for a piano and choir or organ and choir or voice and choir, I just had no idea. So I, I felt that as if his experiences in his earlier life were very similar to mine. Not only that, Roland Carter did one of the most popular arrangement of 
I said the definitive arrangement of the Negro National Anthem. And seeing that played by an orchestra and sung by a choir. And I mean, you know, it just- You know, I I love that arrangement. (laughs) It lifts me to no end. No, when it comes to, you know, someone who has seen so much, I mean, it's almost amazing that they have such a a soul about them, you know. Mm-hmm. And how, how do you keep that going? Because you think, okay, we want this to translate to the younger generations. And how do we do that best? Like even having young people interested in this story or her yeah. story, you know? Yeah. Maybe you have some keys to how we can best do that. How to do it, <laughs> I don't necessarily know. I just hope in our history classes, we start to expand the idea of history and American history to um, to stories like Mrs. Carroll's. She just, she found inspiration wherever she could and music was her savior. And I'm gonna use a small S because I don't know her religious affiliations as much. Um, it saved her from allowing her experiences to captivate her in, in a negative way or to hold her captive in a negative way. Thanks so much for listening with us, Professor Brandon Boyd, Roland Carter Scholar. (laughs) We now return to Miss Carol's story. Maybe it was a God-given gift to me to work with children because of what I went through. I, I really felt that had to have been what it was because no one should have had to endure what I went through in that childhood stage. It was, it was just too much for a young child. But when my mother was good, she was beautiful, but it was hard to see what was going on. When you love people, and I love them, you know, they took care of me. They took care of me. The brutality, I never, never the stepfather, never the stepfather, only her. But I loved her, I loved her. Where we lived, the missionary nuns in the Catholic Church came around in the streets to find out if there were any children that didn't go to church. And my mother was one that said, I never went to church. So they asked if they could take the children to the Catholic Church. My mother had went to the Anglican Church in St. Kitts, but in America, they had the Episcopal Church, which was the closest to the Anglican Church. But when she went to the Episcopal Church, they segregated people from very fair complexion to very dark complexion. They favored the very fair complexion people to be in the limelight in the church. They let the darker complexion people do 
dishes when they had affairs, wash dishes, serve the people. The lighter complexion people sat with the community and elaborated on with different things that happened. My mother could pass. She was that fair. But I could not pass. And my father, did, he was very dark. He could not pass. So she cursed them out with that very vivid tongue and took us out of the church. So when the Catholic missionaries came and said they would take me to the church, my mother let me go. That was my stepping stone to the open world. There was an organ in the church. Albert Tillery was the organist. Piano was in the basement. I played the piano in the basement. Tillery played the organ in the church. So now I have graduated from the piano playing to the organ, learning from Tillery. My mother enrolled me in Gilmont Conservatory in New York. I couldn't get into the conservatory. She didn't know that it was segregated. She went alone. She didn't take me. She went alone and registered me. O'Loughlin is an Irish name. She could pass. She registered me, but the day that I went, she didn't go with me. I went alone. They looked on the register and they said, oh, it's, there must be a mistake. They looked and they saw O'Loughlin, but they, then they looked and they said, I said, that was my mother. They had to take me. So that's where I started really learning to play, because Tillery was limited. He couldn't do it just so much. And that's where I learned to play the organ. That's how I ended up playing the first black woman to play the organ at the cathedral, the basilica. So that's where I got the reputation. No one ever played, black woman played that organ. No black man, I've been the first one. So that's where I had to go to be buried. I played for the church. Then, because of this, I earned a scholarship to Seton Hall University. At that time, music was in Latin, no English. So that's how I earned the scholarship to Seton Hall. Therefore, I went into the schools to teach Latin to the children music. I loved it because the language was pure. No dirty words that I hear every day of my life in a house, all my life. From three years old, every day of my life. The language, the music was pure. 
and I loved it. And that was my stepping stone to where I am today. I taught it, I played it, I loved it. It was my dream. So here from Seton Hall, I got another scholarship to Fordham University. This was my life. Then people began to hear about me. Then I got into the community. Then I started giving my services. I was, I was so happy to give. I didn't want the money. I wanted to give. I went into all the libraries. We outgrew. There were so many students who couldn't fit into the libraries anymore. Centennial Hall. We couldn't fit into Centennial Hall anymore. There were too many of us. That's how we started growing. And everybody wanted to come. But see, I didn't just teach music. I taught self-esteem. I taught the children what pride was. I taught them what courage was. I, I taught more. It went along with music. I taught them that music was a window to the world. They could sit in one seat, they go to France, they go to Germany, they go to every world, every place in the world. They learn that one subject, they learn geography, they learn history, they learn language, they learn their custom, that one language, they don't learn it in school. In school, they learn one subject. In music, they learn all those subjects in one subject, just alone. That's how precious music is. But my first teaching student, when I said I was going to teach privately, to help my own, because when I went into school, because I taught Latin, I never taught people of my own. It was always Caucasian. Every school that I went to, I was the only teacher of color. And that was because I taught Latin. They couldn't get a person of color that taught Latin in music or in the language. Private teaching, I was going to teach my own in English. My first student, I charged 25 cents for a lesson. When I ventured out in an advertisement as a teacher, I didn't put in the price, but I said 25 cents. No student, she's no good if she charged 25 cents for a lesson. She's no good. <laughs> Gordon Gladden, he was the only one. And on the third lesson, he was robbed by one of his peers. I never knew. 
because I never asked him for the money. I never missed the money. I was so involved in the music. One day, on my way to school, I had to change buses. On Broader Market Street, I had to change the, to the number one bus to get to St. Aloysius, where I was teaching. He was on the corner. He said, hello, Mrs. Carroll. And I said, Gordon. He was grown now. I said, I haven't seen you for years, and you remember me. He said, Mrs. Carroll, I could never forget you. I said, really? He said, yes, because you never asked me for my quarter when I missed my lesson. And I said, oh. He said, you know, I was mugged. I said, really? He said, and you never told my mother. I said, I never missed the quarter. I didn't know you didn't pay me. He said, no, he said, that's what happened. He said, and you never told my mother. He said, I'll never forget you. I never forget you. That's why I never got a student for a quarter. So my husband said, Maud, you're going to have to charge more than a quarter to get a student. <laughs> so then I went up to a dollar and 25 cents. <laughs> so there really was a time when you could have a piano lesson for 25 cents. <laughs> oh, bring back those prices. <laughs> <I know>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But what, a, what an incredible story. Amazing. Oh, really, really fantastic. And we have more because she'll be back for episode two. Now, do her stories from her childhood get better? They do. <laughs> they do. They do. She grows up and she finds love. Better yet, love finds her. Well, just as long as she's doing good. I know. She deserves it. Now, in the meantime, I'm sure our listeners will want to keep up with Miss Carol. So join us on our website, BeforeYouGo.TV. That's BeforeYouGo.TV. And we'll keep you updated. And while at our website, BeforeYouGo.TV, you can connect with us. Our guests love fan mail, and we're fans of theirs too. So we want you to know if you feel moved to offer a donation to our program, we will share your generosity with those who shared their compelling stories. We know you have ideas of people in your circles who are storytellers too. We want to meet them. Drop us a line at beforeyougo.tv and maybe they'll be on our show. And before you go, we want to remind everyone that stories like these are sometimes just a phone call away. Might be time to pick up that phone. <laughs> There's no time like the present. What a gift. Before You Go is an Epiphany Inc. production. Hear more from Nicole Franklin and Bryant Monte at beforeyougo.tv. Mm -hmm.